0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sea Breeze podcast where we contemplate the Christian classics. I'm Eric. And I am Shane. And we are sad to say it's been a while <laughs> since we have recorded an episode. We just looked at the notes. It was May 15th. Yes. We say this to our shame. Yes. Uh, we basically have no excuses. Yes. So sorry about that. We know you guys were, were hankering for some more content. So <laughs> we're back. We're excited to be back. Uh, in case you forgot, because it's been a while, so this podcast, we exist to uh, read and contemplate old books. We think there's a lot of great wisdom to be gained from old saints, and uh, we're just going to read those books and discuss them. And so this season, we've been talking about City of God by St. Augustine. It took me eight episodes, but now I know how to say his name. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, Shane's happy.
1: Mission accomplished. That's all I wanted in this podcast. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh. <laughs> Shane, anything exciting that's happened since the last uh, last episode? Any fun things? What's been going on?
1: You mean like apart from the book in my life? Yeah, just yeah. what's been going on? Oh, um, I don't know, man. I mean, I uh, I'm trying to graduate soon. That's I guess good. that's the goal. Uh, but if yeah. that doesn't work
0: out, podcast career.
1: Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't place too much money on that. But, All right. Um, but yeah, looking Halloween's to graduate. Tomorrow. Yeah, I ha- have you done anything Halloween-y? Uh, not really. Me neither. <laughs> I normally do, but this time it's just been flying by. You
0: were like yeah. Batman last year, right? I was. We probably were recording, it's probably been over a year that we've been recording these episodes.
1: Yes, it has actually. Yeah. It was, uh, I don't remember, it was sometime last fall, Okay. I think. Yeah, I remember we talked about It was about around your- a year ago. It was yeah. almost exactly a year yeah, ago. Yeah, I think it was. We had started it like in October. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's fun. It's been a good journey. Um, It
1: it would have been like three months if we had...
0: (laughs) We'd be on like our third book by Not delayed a lot. (laughs) Well, we we hope you guys have enjoyed it. It's been fun for us. So this is episode seven, and there's only one more episode after this. So we got two episodes to go, and then we're going to finish this book. So it's pretty exciting. That's right. So let's jump right back in. So just a reminder, Augustine... Really spent the
1: first part you, of Oh, work. come on, man. Oh, I you already messed explained. already. It's already. It's All not, right. All right. We got to do another podcast now. We'll, right, we gotta we'll do the, confessions the, next. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: Sorry. Augustine, I'll probably slip again. Uh, Augustine, he's writing this book in response to those who said that the fall of Rome was the fault of Christians. Mm. He spends the first eh, about quarter of the book saying why that's not true and how that's really wrong. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he really just turns into this monumental work of explaining basically all of human history Mm -hmm. from this view of there's been always been two cities, the city Mm -hmm. of man and its desires and the city of God and its desires. Yeah. And so he's really just been tracing that through the Bible. He's been weaving it with different philosophers of his day. And it's been, it's been really just amazing. The Mm -hmm. the command he has of the scriptures, the command he has of um, like secular philosophy and, and uh, the really famous people of his day is just really amazing. He -hmm. has a total handle on, on the society he's a part of. So, yeah. Um, it's been really cool to see that. And so we're going to kind of pick back up um, in his book 18. And uh, th- this section has been, there's going to be a lot about desires. And he's also going to start talking about uh, one of the big themes we see in this section is the contrast between mm-hmm. like the disorder of the city of man and the harmony mm-hmm. of the city of God. So he talks mm-hmm. about how like the city of man is basically always at civil war. Yeah. Like, people are always fighting. Um he's going to draw a lot of comparisons to how Rome is kind of the new Babylon now. Mm -hmm. And he says, and I thought it was kind of funny. He said compared to Assyria and Rome, all other kingdoms are mere appendages. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the real kingdoms he says. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, he's just going to go into how sort of disordered these, um, these societies, these kingdoms are, Mm -hmm. um, and just sort of all the, all the problems that's going to lead to, um, in their society. Yeah. Um,
1: he even like talks about this in the human condition alone, like a kind of in, in each individual man and like society in general, right? Like there's always, I will get into it. I don't, don't want to share too much, but yeah, like resistances and tensions and civil war between, um, between the members of, of the body, between the body and the soul, between the soul and virtue and like all these things. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. Exactly. Not this, What's playing out in the human heart is also playing out on a grander scale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, what, this is not exactly related, but one of the cool things I think he talked—I thought he talked about—was he implies that there were a lot of Greek gods that were worshipped. You know, we think about Zeus, we think about Hercules, who was a demigod, Athena, all these different mm-hmm. people. He kind of put forth this this hypothesis, which I'd heard before. That these Greek gods were people who had just done great things, mm. maybe you know really great in their time, and then like over years, basically they just became deified, mm-hmm. and that Hercules guy that we used to remember now let's say he was a god or a demigod mm. um, and I wrote down in my notes, I don't really remember this, but he said, Hercules was the same time as Moses, yeah I don't know how he reckoned that, yeah but but I thought that was really interesting to think about um, and that's I think totally believable, just over time the lore builds and these people become. Uh, deified. And I think it's interesting because a lot of um skeptics will say, oh, that's what happened with Jesus, that he was just a great guy. And then over time, people made him out to be a God. Mm-hmm. The big difference is within two minutes after Jesus, they were calling him a God. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't, it took hundreds of years. And then eventually, oh no, it's people who knew him were calling him a God. Mm-hmm. So a really mm-hmm. fundamental difference between what he was accusing, um what he was accusing these Greeks of. Yeah. So I
1: think... This comes, like, way later, and uh, I think it's past, actually, the section we're talking about in this episode. Um, but the, he mentions how Romulus, the founder of Rome, uh, like, men loved him and therefore named him a god. They, mm. they made him a god. Um, but Jesus was God, and therefore men loved him. Oh. Um, and I think one big difference is that, like... People didn't recognize during Jesus' time, like, the, the general population didn't believe that, oh, this is a great man, like, we want to honor him and let's start calling him God. Right. No, like, it was, there were a few who honored him and followed him and and loved him. Um, and many who hated him, right? Yeah, and it was because he was claiming to be God that uh, the religious leaders uh, persecuted and, and ultimately killed him, right? right? And it was only afterwards that, you know, his his close followers were telling everyone that, that, you know, he was God and he was the son of God and provided salvation. And, um, and doing this was to their own detriment Mm -hmm. as well. Right. Like they, they were persecuted for it to death and, and imprisonment and and everything. So it didn't benefit them. It is a very opposite situation from these other cases. right?
0: Right. Right. I think that's a great point. And, and it, it ties into, again, this, this idea of disunity and disorder is, uh, it's flipped with uh, the city of with the city of God, uh, and one of the ways he talks about that is kind of through the writings. And he talks about um, basically how all the the pagan philosophers will contradict each other; they can't get anything straight. Mm, mm. And on the contrary, the Bible is super unified. That mm. it's been written over thousands of years, many different mm-hmm. authors, and yet, um, and yet it's one coherent story it's one unified theme yeah. and, w- and one of the examples he points to which i thought was super interesting on this um is he talks about the origin of the septuagint um hmm. so for those who aren't familiar in it was probably a few hundred ad or sorry a few hundred bc yeah yeah i think egypt well, it was egypt right who like basically sponsored this commissioned this translation
1: i think so i don't yeah. remember that well now. But We're, yeah one of, one of these like big pagan yeah. nations that israel was kind of exiled to right Right,
0: they wanted so that at the t- up to this point the scriptures and only the old testament as we know it it was all they had had only been written in um hebrew hmm. and so you know that was not a lot of people could read hebrew so they wanted it translated and i think it was oh. translated into latin right at the
1: time no i don't think latin was around yet right was it well, our details Maybe. are really fuzzy was it greek because septuagint was greek okay the greek. vulgate yeah, yeah. is latin okay yeah right. Right. Sorry, it was greek, greek. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the translate into greek
0: and he, he goes through this story. I think there were some footnotes that a lot of these details, they were not exactly sure how historical, but it makes for a great story. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> Stephen King always said, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> um, but anyways, so what apparently they did is they basically took 40 scholars mm-hmm. and they put them in different rooms and they said, okay, translate mm-hmm. this from Hebrew into Greek. Yeah. And according to August Augustine, according to uh, Lore each of them came up with the exact same translation, hmm. save maybe a the or a two here and there. Hmm. But he's like, the translations were identical, mm-hmm. which he then argued that this was actually a divinely inspired translation, yeah. which we might kind of be, that might give us the EPGPs today. <laughs> but uh, his point was that, look, we're, God is clearly at work here. Mm-hmm. If this, uh, if this scripture is going to be translated so well by mm-hmm. all these different people. Uh, oh. So I thought that was a really fascinating mm-hmm. story and,
1: yeah, it seemed like he even went so far as to, like, I think he, I mean, I don't remember what he says verbatim, but it, he claimed or at least believed that the Septuagint was more divinely inspired than the he- Hebrew original. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, like he he talks about how, because there are some, like, you know, discrepancies right. here and there about, like, the years or the right. ages of certain people or whatever. And um, he argues that the Hebrew was uh, incorrect so that the Septuagint... <laughs> ended up coming out correct more correct (laughs) uh which is kind of interesting i don't know but but he yeah i think like you said it kind of gives us the heebie-jeebies like i think a lot of people today and maybe throughout history um have the idea that the bible um was like this this divine document that floated down from heaven and you know (laughs) or like it was even written by you know holy men yeah but like they were kind of in this like this trance where they're just their eyes are closed and they're just like (laughs) rapidly writing you know and the holy spirit's like possessing them um but augustine is saying uh which i think is you know what we know through scholarship and history that yeah there was there was even like even in the hebrews revisions and redactions and um and translations right and augustine isn't afraid to to say that yeah this the the act of these translations and like, these other edits or, or compiling of putting um, the the books together into a canon was all divinely inspired. The mm-hmm. entire process was. Right. So,
0: right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, I think he even talks about that, too, that there's some old writings that some people will say are from Noah or Enoch. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you can't put that in the canon. That was so long ago. Who knows who wrote this? Right. right? It could right. be a forgery. It could not. Yeah. We don't really know. Um, and And I think, again, he would agree. We would agree that originally how it was written was divinely inspired there was nothing wrong with but some of these things were so long ago it, it, it is going to cause um some challenges and yet what i think is still so cool is that even in uh, the bible today um if you think about it, i think it's john 8 and the end of mark there's yeah, a lot of disagreement yeah. over okay who was this really included or not yeah and to me that points to okay the rest of the bible we don't have these big <laughs> discrepancies which points to how yeah there's small issues here and there that we have to work with, but the, mm-hmm. the general themes are so clear and they've yeah. been preserved so well yeah. which is really uh really quite beautiful
1: yeah and even like you know (laughs) you made this this comment which augustine says that you know the book of enoch these other texts are so old that who who can know the authenticity of them i think a lot of people say that about the bible today um how can you know that it's authentic yeah how do you know that people didn't just deify jesus afterwards you know um but that's one interesting thing i mean we can that's a whole podcast on its (laughs) own to get into um and there's lots of good ones out there uh, especially by tim mackey but uh (laughs) if like my experience uh that was interesting in reading this book is that you're reading someone who was uh quite a bit close you know 1500 years closer to the time Mm -hmm. of the writing of the new testament and the old testament um so he's closer to the the time of the origin of these documents and um he's just so confidently asserting their authenticity and like he like he knows the history more clearly and um, like even there are little bits of history that he knows about, um, um, even like these ancient Israelite mm-hmm. times that like, we like struggle to have access to, right. or, to or to know about. Right. And so, so that's been interesting Just something yeah. that I've, I've noticed or experienced.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. He was what we said 300 ish AD.
1: Yeah. I think like late 300, early
0: 400s. Right. And yeah. probably the last John wrote Revelation, what, probably 80 or 100 AD? Yeah. So he wasn't really that far away. Yeah.
1: Just a couple or a few decades, three decades or, or centuries. <laughs> yeah.
0: Which is less than us to the Declaration of Independence. Right. Oh. So that wow. puts it in perspective. He was pretty close.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. So pretty cool. And, um, and again, what the. He talks about this that we, you know, in the city of God. We can now compare everything to the bible to see if it's true we're not going to have to have these Mm. uh there'll be disagreement sure but uh, there's just going to be so much more unity Mm. uh, and harmony and order and peace than in the city of man yeah um and i think that's going to tie into some of the stuff we'll talk about a little bit later Mm -hmm. um but that kind of so that's book 18 and that kind of closes out in my book they sort of separate into different parts that closes out part four. And then that leads us into part five, which is the last part. Mm-hmm. And um, so that'll be book 19. And this last part, uh, Augustine says, is sort of the ends or the goals or the, the telos, if you will, of the two cities. Mm. Um, and to do this, he's going to talk a lot about uh, virtues and vices. He goes into a very technical, mm. very technical <laughs> discussion on, on, uh, on virtue and these different schools of thoughts, and how people looked at it, and it was something like how many virtues there are, and he like gave this like combinatorial argument. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, uh, it was Varro had yeah had, Varro two hundred and eighty eight yeah right right different right. sects of philosophy
0: yeah because yeah. he's like you know you can have <laughs> these different desires, and then they could either be like, or the desire could be subordinate, preferred, or equal with the virtue. And so then, then you can multiply by three and then you're like, but then it could be like for yeah. this or that reason. And then it like, he just, he's like, and then you get to 288. Yeah. And then after that, he's like, okay, but all these distinctions are kind of useless. And it's really just three, <laughs> three
1: key <laughs> distinctions. I so, think that's a trend of that day. Maybe the way of writing these works or thinking through philosophy. Cause okay. one of the things I've, notice the most about Augustine's works is how verbose he is yeah. and how detail oriented he is yes. to list out all the possibilities yep. and defend and justify and refute every single yep. like aspect of each idea. Right. And it seems like apparently Varro is doing the same thing.
0: Yeah. It's like, did anyone have this objection that you're potentially answering to or Did you just want to <laughs> throw it in there?
1: <laughs> also, it wasn't like, weren't they more unlimited on like paper and ink? You compared would think to today. Like, but apparently not (laughs) spilling some
0: serious ink on it
1: oh that's some uh philosophical piety
0: there you go um but i think this is a really important section that we're going to spend some time on now um augustine is looking at the question what is the supreme good Mm -hmm. and um, basically he's saying that the it it was very explicit in this time right a philosopher's job was like okay what is true happiness what is true purpose yeah what is goodness we still have that today but it might not be labeled by a philosopher it's just like very explicit this is what people are searching for Mm -hmm. um and so he's gonna really jump into this and he so that's what he said he talked about Varro, what how he kind of looked at virtue and Mm -hmm. and desires and all these things and and like how much certainty and how much doubt we can have Mm. um and 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 Augustine is arguing that true philosophy must be on a quest basically for the search of good and evil, Mm. Uh, you know, happiness. Everything else is a waste of time. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Everything in life should be about pursuing the ultimate good. Yeah. Um, Which is like, sounds so simple, but it's like, that is a really, that gives you a good grounding in your life, right? Searching for ultimate good. Like what more is worth your life? Right. Right. Than searching for the ultimate good.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So he says, well, you know, search for that soul good, which when obtained makes men happy. Hmm. What is the soul good, which when obtained hmm. makes men happy? And, um, and he's going to tie virtue into this a lot, which again, probably something a little different than today. We don't even really use the word. Um, our C.S. Lewis resident expert here will know. But C.S. Lewis talked a lot about virtues and vices, right? Yes. I, like those are not really words we use today, which is kind of interesting. Um, we still have them as a society, but again, maybe it's not as explicit.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, nowadays society, you know, outside the church, um, at least Western modern society, um, can't even agree that there's good and bad. Right. (laughs) Which is interesting. That's already a challenge. (laughs) Right.
0: Because he talks about the old academy, uh, which I'm going to be fuzzy on dates there. But, um, even the pagan philosophers of this time, they believed in there was, a, there was an objective truth. There's an ultimate good and mm-hmm. there's an ultimate evil. Yes. And they landed on the wrong spots. As Christians, we believe they, they landed on the wrong spot. But they were searching for the same thing. They said there's this ultimate good, mm-hmm. there's ultimate evil. We need to find this if we're going to have any purpose, any point of our life. Yeah. Um, so again, you're right. That's a huge difference because today mm-hmm. we don't really use that language. Again, I think we, people implicitly do but oh yeah yeah no one wants to come out and just say it
1: yeah absolutely i yeah i mean that i mean augustine says it himself over and over again and i think everyone would agree who's honest like today too that like only the stupid man i think he says this like only the stupidest person um uh would have trouble you know agreeing or believing that Every man seeks good yeah. for himself. Oh, yeah, Like, yeah, yeah. desires happiness. Or, right. Yeah. He's like, it's <laughs> like,
0: just, it's, it's self-evident. Yeah. People are seeking happiness.
1: Everyone wants their own good. Right. You know, the, like, Jesus, the, the Bible took this for granted, too. Mm-hmm. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Obviously, you love yourself already. Right. <laughs> and you're Everyone yourself does. well. Right, right. Right. Like, it, I think there are madmen who, you know, don't. Right. Um, can go crazy and, like, I mean even like people who like self and like self mutilate self mm-hmm. inflict damage or to their bodies and so on, I think is like, there's some mental issue sure. and perversion that's, that's happening that makes them yeah. not love themselves. Yeah. Um, like the, the way they naturally mm-hmm. would, but beyond that exception, right. Um, I think everyone naturally loves himself. Right.
0: <laughs> and, and the, the Bible doesn't necessarily talk about that as a negative. It's just, it's true that, yeah. um, we want to be happy. That's how God right. hardwired us to be happy. Right. Hardwired us to be miserable. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants that. Yeah, um, even the
1: animals. Augustine says, like the animals desire happiness. There you go. They, see, they desire peace.
0: Right, right. Um, yeah. So th- this is, I think, just so central to what he's talking about. And uh, and again, that we talk about sea breeze, contemplating Christian classics. We want to pick up what is our culture missing. What mm. is uh, what are insights that these old mm. greats have. Again, this was just taken for granted. There's an ultimate good, there's yeah. an ultimate ultimate evil, and we should be striving after that ultimate good. Yeah. And I just really liked how explicit kind of he made that yeah. idea in this section.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: And so he, he talked about um, he talks a little bit about kind of how um, what the secular answers to that question are. But yes, for the Christian, he says Christians believe eternal life is the supreme good, mm-hmm. and eternal death. Is the supreme evil, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, again, very simple. I think it'd be hard to disagree as a Christian, like mm. that. Um, yeah, eternal life is as good as it can get, and eternal death is as bad as it can get.
1: Yeah, can I can I back us up? Slightly? Sure, sure. I think yeah, an important point that Augustine, uh, like an important thing that Augustine discusses or or mentions before getting to that point, um, is so, you know he goes through these three main. Um, like ultimate goods that Varo has kind of yeah. outlined that it, it all kind of boils and reduces down to, um, and but all of the I mean, what are they? I think they're, uh, I mean I can mention them real quick. Do you have them listed? Down? I know
0: I was going to, uh, I was going to mention them, and then I was realizing I don't think these are in my notes. Okay, let me. I <laughs> think I have hour. them right here. Um, that uh, this is what happens when you haven't recorded in five months. Okay, you can be very prepared. Yeah.
1: So well like ultimately, even before getting to this, um, you're you're try seeking supreme good, like for yourself at least, means like eliminating bad. Mm-hmm. So getting rid of like displeasure kinda of things, I guess, like something the thorn is poking you in the side, right. you know, get rid of it. Right. Um, and then seeking pleasure, like mm-hmm. kind of those are or seeking like you know, something that's satisfying or pleasing or to yourself or whatever. But so here are the three um that varro kind of has so um there are three paths one is uh leisured contemplation of the truth uh the second is management of human affairs the third is a combination of these two (laughs) so there's two yeah (laughs) that That becomes 288 (laughs) yeah pretty much uh so um and also he talks about like the how it's best done in the company of others because we're, we're made to be social. Mm. Like we're social beings. Mm. Um, Like that's also kind of a self-evident thing that they all agreed on at that time. Um, So yeah, they like, anyway, so those are what, what Varro kind of boiled it down Mm -hmm. to. And then what Augustine gets into before getting into the real supreme good and and evil, um, which Christians rightly um, understand and recognize. um, He says, varro and these other philosophers are seeking an ultimate good in this life Mm. whereas Mm -hmm. in reality this life is temporary yes um so that's that's what i was trying to get to i spent a lot of time getting there but (laughs) that's i think the main point that Augustine makes before getting into okay Mm -hmm. what is the actual supreme good and evil the mistake that even i think christians today are making Mm. um and i've noticed a lot in myself and especially when i was reading this i was realizing that a lot it's like we look at our current life is like the ultimate yeah like how can i seek my own good in this life mm-hmm. or even someone else's good in right. this life like without the proper recognition of how much how infinitely greater and longer lasting right. um the next life is that's mm-hmm. really where it all begins right? right um so with that being said uh, then he gets into uh the, the supreme good the supreme right. evil right
0: no, no, I'm glad you said that. I wanted to hit on that. <clears throat> right. Like Shane is saying, Augustine really makes clear it's a mistake to think you can find uh, true happiness or ultimate happiness in this life. Yeah. He says it's vain to look for this in earth. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to the definition, Christians believe eternal life is the supreme good. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, you can't find eternal life in a temporary life. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is such a big point that he makes. Um that this true ultimate purpose, happiness, it's really impossible to find in this life. And, and one of the reasons he talks about is anything you have in this life can be lost. So he mm. says, let's say you're the smartest academic of all time, you're the best philosopher ever, you have this great mind, you can grow old, you can forget things, you can get dementia, right? You mm. can lose your mind. Let's say you're the most beautiful person of all time. Let's say you're this great model or whatever. Mm. <laughs> That's gonna fade over time. Mm. So anything that you're gonna derive happiness from in this life, like basically by definition is going to be lost.
1: Yeah. And at, at any random moment, it can be lost. Yes. You walk out in the street and forget to look both ways. Yeah. You know? Like yep. even if you don't get dementia, right. like you're still going to die someday. Right, you know? Like even if it doesn't happen super early, right, like, eventually it ends. Yes. This life ends.
0: Yes. And one of the, the verses of the Bible, this reminds me of is, I think it's in, I think it's in first Corinthians, but Paul says basically, Everything that you can see with your eyes is temporary. Mm. Everything you can't see is eternal. Mm. <laughs> right? Everything you see, a building, a person, it mm. has an expiration date. Buildings get torn down. Mm. People die. Mm. Forests burn down. You know, everything mm. you see, by definition, one day will not be here. The, mm. Any atheist, any secular person would agree with that. The mm. earth's gonna, the sun's gonna go supernova or whatever, and the earth's yeah. gonna be gone, right? By definition, everything you can see will not be there. Mm. Everything you can't see uh you know if you will in the spiritual realm that's what's mm. truly eternal yeah. someone's soul yeah um the bible even talks about love is something that's eternal yeah and mm. you can't see those so by definition it's gonna be a lot harder <laughs> mm. to live for those and so i think that's where the you know christians we talk a lot about faith and you know have faith this and that but mm. that's when faith really comes into play it's like i believe that what i can't see is what really matters yeah and that that's what really lasts yeah and that th- this happiness that i'm searching for that i was hardwired to know, is not available in this life mm. because it's just too temporary. I w- mm. will not be able to find it.
1: Yeah. Um, to bring uh, CS Lewis back into the conversation. Of course. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> um, you know, in, in his book or uh, it was a sermon originally, I think uh, called the weight of glory. Uh, he talks about how, yeah, like every single human will live forever. Mm. Um, they're, they're going to, you know, have a different destiny. Like each mm. person will, you end up in one of two places. Um, but you will never stop existing. Yeah. Um, and you you mentioned like the sun will eventually burning out and yeah. so on. Like he says that in, in oh, his sermon or essay as well. He says, yeah, like eventually when the universe grows hot and then the sun burns burns out and goes cold and, you know, the earth wears away, like billions of years from now, we will still be conscious. And that gives, you know, he argues that that gives us a new, um, kind of helps us to be sober minded mm. about the value of every human Mm. of every person and yeah like the realness of eternity Mm -hmm. and how important this question of jesus and the salvation he offers how important that is and in this life while we have that opportunity
0: right right that uh person in front of you in the car who's driving slow that barista who got your order Mm. wrong it's like so easy to get angry or upset but if you have that mindset this is an eternal soul Mm. and that that's totally different. Yeah. That's really going to impact how you live. And it's, it's so hard because like you said, you can't see these things yeah. when we're young and you're healthy. You just feel like you're going to live forever and you're invincible and all these things. And yeah, um, yeah, that's where the faith really, that's when faith becomes reality. Basically. Yeah.
1: Does, I don't remember if it's in, um, these two books we're actually looking at for this episode. It might be later, but, um, or he mentions that kind of the, the whole purpose of man is, um, to like serve those around him any way he can, right? Like mm. to, to do good to his neighbor. Um, and, you know, he talks about Ecclesiastes as well, saying the final command of the ecclesiastic, the uh, the pastor uh-huh. or the preacher, um, to love God and, and I think, or maybe he doesn't say love God, but obey God or love God and, and keep his commands. For this mm-hmm. is the whole of, of man. Yep. This is the whole duty of man. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think. Doing good to your neighbors, um, starting from you know your the family household, and then go, extending to to those outside, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to those in the church, um, to those outside the church. Um, that w- we become more able to do that, I think, when we remember and realize that these people will exist forever, right? And, like if this is someone who's already a believer, I want to push him toward Jesus. I want to push him toward becoming conformed to the image of the Mm son to become more like him so that he can be that much more glorious of a, of a being, um, when he's glorified by the father. Um, or if it's someone outside the church, um, I want to do everything I can to, um, convince this person that Jesus is real and that what he said is true and that Mm -hmm. he offers salvation. So this person can experience that and become a glory as well in, in eternity. Right.
0: Yeah. We, I think we really can't overstate uh, like the importance of this concept yeah. that uh, that Augustine's hitting on. And um, yeah, that just this, this true happiness cannot be in this life. And he does say Christians can derive happiness now by mm-hmm. looking forward mm-hmm. to this future happiness. Yeah. Um, but it just can't be this, this truer sense. And I think we, we were talking about before the show that um, that doesn't always seem to be the way even Christians talk today. We do seem to talk a lot mm. about like, even all oh, finding joy in God but like it's all about now or finding yeah. um, like all this happiness that you can find in this life mm-hmm. and like we don't want to be like you know nihilist like we believe there's it's possible to be happy and find joy in this life right right but there seems to be the sense of people thinking like you can achieve the ultimate happiness or that there's oh. there's more happiness you can achieve here than there really is yeah and I think part of that is like so that we have to remember the time Augustine's or Augustine's writing, is uh, Shane's just smiling at me? I corrected myself. <laughs> I've sorry. noticed.
1: I notice every time you say his name. <laughs> well, that's good.
0: Uh, but I'm correcting myself, so I think that's step one of yeah, of sure. change. I guess. Anyway, um, now I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> we were talking about. I'll stop uh, smiling at him. <laughs> uh, we were talking about happiness and uh, whether you can, whether you can find it in this life. Hmm. But um, yeah, I think basically just all that to say. Uh, I, I think that's a really important, like you, were, I think you're saying it's like even a heart check for yourself. Like, mm. are, are you looking for this in this life? And, um, yeah. I even think about, um, you know, John Piper is famous for his Christian hedonism. And I was trying to read online. Like, do people think that's a term that John Piper came up with, but he thinks describes <laughs> in the Bible. And basically all it says is that a Christian should be seeking the maximum happiness in their life. And that maximum happiness is found by enjoying God. Basically, right, right. that was the whole point we were made. you know the line god is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him Um, so that was a coin a term he coined um but he believes biblical i would more or less also um so i was trying to think like have do people think augustine also had that view Hmm. and there actually wasn't a lot written on it so if we ever need uh you know a uh, divinity PhD thesis. Maybe that's an interesting one, but <laughs> I, I, I thought the difference was Augustine definitely agrees ultimate happiness only comes from God. Mm. So in mm. that sense, he was definitely a Christian hedonist. I think maybe yeah. the difference is, again, he wasn't looking really expecting much to find much in this life. Right. He's saying all that happiness is going to come in the next life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He, he recognizes and, and he talks about it explicitly in this book that we're, we're beset by all kinds of evils in this life still. Yes. Um, yes. And we're not at that final felicity or happiness yet. Yeah. Um, and that, that does come in the next books that we'll get into, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, we're, we, we haven't reached that piece of eternity, the, the eternal life yet. Right. Um, and so we still have temptations and yep. we don't see things clearly and we yep. have to hope for that, right. that final happiness. that and, right. and, and we need that faith. Right, because right, we don't see it yet, yep. we don't directly experience it yet. Yep, yeah, but yeah, how great will be that day when we don't have to fight and climb up right. up that hill, that incline anymore of, of righteousness, and right, there's no more temptation, there. right?
0: And that's what well. I think is crazy is that's the uh, when Paul or one of the New Testament authors is writing to encourage believers, he's pointing them to that. He's like, Look mm-hmm. at this great hope you're gonna have now, work really hard now, yeah, <laughs> right? He's yeah. saying, Look forward to that, that should be yes. our, our motivation, yeah, um. And, yeah, Augustine says that, you know, the best happiness on earth is going to look like misery <laughs> compared to our eternal happiness. Paul says, right, the uh, I do not consider the sufferings of this present time are even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed. So, mm. yeah, there's some measure of happiness we can reach. It's going to look like nothing compared to our eternal happiness. And oh. uh, I thought it was even funny. He talked about um, basically the, uh, he, he says here man's very virtues, his best and most useful possessions are the most solid evidences of the miseries of this life. Mm. So he's saying, take a take any virtue that society ascribes. Again, our time, a little different, but t- take a mm-hmm. virtue like discipline or something, mm. Um, mm. fortitude. By definition, that needing discipline, it means there's bad things that you're trying not to do. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying to keep yourself from doing X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So you need discipline, which is a virtue. Yeah. Temperance, not having too much of, of yes. a good thing. Yeah is just proving that there's all these bad things to avoid. And so even the best things, these virtues are going to prove. He he actually says the most solid proof Mm -hmm. that this life is miserable. Mm -hmm. So it can get depressing, I think, if you take it the wrong way. But it's really, I think, more hopeful. And I think it puts a fair weight on you if you're looking for something in this life that's just not possible, that's going to be crushing. And so I think it just gives you a fair understanding perspective on what you can expect from this life. Yeah.
1: I have so many more thoughts, but it's it's we have to save it for the next episode. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> so yes, we'll have to just, like, try to come back to this. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Good. Um, yeah, you hit on one thing which I thought was cool. He talks about um, the hierarchy of human relations. So it starts with mm. the home, yeah. caring for your home. Then it goes to the city, and then it goes to the globe. Mm. Um, and he goes in detail on how none of these can provide happiness, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course um but again i felt this was um again a different hierarchy than we usually think about today um i feel like most hierarchies today would start with the individual and he starts with the home that that's Mm. kind of this fundamental building block and then Mm. the city and then he they don't even i mean in a sense they have an idea of empires but country or it it wasn't because he he goes straight from city to globe it's not like he has a country in between there which is kind of interesting so Mm. but again that that hierarchy um is just different than we think about today. And he even then he goes into what that looks like in the home and he gives like all these different roles in the household. And you know, he talks this is always a hot button topic to Christians. I don't think it should be that controversial, but apparently it is. <laughs> um, but you know, he talks about how how the husband, the man, he's ruling, and the wives and the children are gonna obey. Mm-hmm. But but the key is, and this is so key to any discussion about this, the man the godly man who is ruling his household well is not doing it out of a desire to domineer. He's doing it out of a desire to serve. Yes. So the man, yes, he is in charge. He is ruling the household out of a desire to serve everyone else. Right. And that, if you don't have that, it's going to turn into a disaster.
1: Right. It's, it's more a responsibility than an authority or or a power. Yes. Right. Like the biblical perspective and like the true right perspective of, of authority or power is, you are the one to serve those under your care yes that someone is under your care not under your rule yeah
0: yeah and that and that's the difference between a you know unregenerate man who's just domineering Mm -hmm. that looks bad and it is bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's no desire to serve Mm -hmm. a saved godly man desiring to lead and rule well is a blessing to everyone around him yeah um and, and he even goes so as far as to say, which this would be extremely unpopular today, but he basically argues that it's, it's harder what the father has to do than what the wives and the children have to do. Yeah. We talk a lot about, oh, you know, the idea of uh, submitting to your husband, like what a burden that is. Mm-hmm. But if the man's ruling well, that's really shouldn't be as much of a burden. It should be a, yeah. a great thing, right? should be and a blessing. He, and he, yeah, just like we loudly submit to Christ's rule. Yeah. He's saying it's actually harder for the fathers (laughs) to do this commanding than for the people to follow. So, again, that would not be very popular today. But even if you think about the Bible, it says the man is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's an insane bar. (laughs) Loving her and giving himself up for
1: her. Right, right, right.
0: So, um, yeah, I I think that that's that's just so key to any discussion is about where is this desire coming from. Yeah. Yeah. he has a lot of other kind of oh and the other thing i wanted to say with related to what you said about um about leadership is he, he related to this point he talks about status and power these things are all at the end of the day vanity <laughs> mm. like it, again power always fades status mm. fades but how can you basically use these things to he, he talks about here particularly see people saved under your authority mm. but how are you going to use these this authority and leverage it for god's kingdom He he says the task of the pastor is much more important than the title of the pastor. Yeah. A pastor is a shepherd. They care, they love for their people. Mm -hmm. That's much more important than that. You get to like put it on your spiritual resume, like pastor of a million person church, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. How how this all ties into ruling, I think is really, really very important. Yeah. He has a lot of other, uh, kind of quick hitters in this section. Um, if you can't tell by now, he loves to get into lots of little details. And <laughs> uh, I have a few more things i talk about, but if you have anything, I don't want to hijack this conversation.
1: You're good. I say keep going. All right. I, uh, I'll just keep chiming in.
0: All right. J- just some quick hitters that, that stood out to me that I think would uh, would bless you guys. Yes. One of the things he talks about um, is he says every outcome of war is to humble or punish the sins of the losing side. Oh, So I thought that was, um, you know, we don't really definitely don't really think that way today, but basically if there's a war, he's not saying it's godly versus the ungodly, but he's saying the loser is probably being humbled by Mm. God. And I think if we look at scripture, that's almost always the case that, uh, the side that wins it's to, you know, bring some sort of judgment on the losing side. Mm. Um, and again, an important thing, if we think about, um, like the tower, I think it's the Tower of Siloam that uh, Jesus talks about that um, this tower falls and a bunch of people die yeah. and they're like, oh, so these people must have been worse sinners. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, nope, they were no better or worse than the person next to them, but that all might seek repentance. Mm-hmm. You know, God has brought this about. And so when we see a, a terrible war going on, like we do now, when we see disasters happening near or far, that's not to say, oh, look how bad that person was, look how naughty that city was. Yeah. That's to say, whoa, we all need to repent. That yeah. could have been me. Then there's no I was no better or worse than the guy who died in that mm-hmm. tragedy. But that we all might find repentance. I think it's just a it's a less it's a more helpful, it's a less sentimental way to look at the world as <laughs> mm-hmm. like, oh, it's Ukraine versus Russia, good versus the bad guys. It's like mm. no bad guys versus bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, right? Yeah. Um so yeah, I yeah. just think that, that even is a helpful lens to kind of I don't know to sort of look at these some different things. So yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, he talks about all this, all these subordination, slavery, servitude. These are a part of the fall. God did not want yeah this in- subordination between men, but mm. it's just kind of what happened now through the fall.
1: Yeah, yeah. He 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 mentions how men were were created, humans were created to rule over the beasts and the earth. Um, okay. And yeah, in right. order to cultivate it yeah. and bless it, it's kind of like these things were given, the, the creation was given to the care of these human, like these kind of vice rulers under uh, God himself yeah. um, to bless the world, to care for it, right. to make, a, like we see, in you know, in Genesis, the, the first uh, six days, like God created so much beauty out of it. Mm-hmm. And now he gives it to the humans to like continue that work, to make it even more beautiful and yep. care for it. Um, humans weren't meant to be, under the rule of other humans right um right right? but you know in this fallen condition he talks about how and we see this in the new testament in paul's writings that um those who are found in the service of another human uh so in the sense of like i mean in in their day an actual servant or slave underneath like Mm -hmm. a master um in our day this i think applies to you know an employee underneath their boss or um or you know there are other applications as well, but when the the master, the one ruling, um, you know, like we talked about, seeks to to um, to to bless those mm-hmm. that they have ca- rule in, or right. or authority or care over, then the one, the servant, the the employee, the uh, the wife, the children, um, they're blessed and and they benefit from it, and they're better than if they weren't under this person's rule right um and that's the way that we are to live in this condition right
0: right yeah if you think about in a movie or in real life like the soldier who's fighting for a king he loves doesn't view that as a burden right right they're eager to fight for them or the player who likes playing for the coach that they love they're eager to play for that coach yeah um so we see this and i think it's um i think it's uh hilarious today even too like we see um I'm not picking sides, but you know, when uh, Ukraine was invaded, everyone mm. rallied around Zelensky because yeah. he was being a man, he was yeah. leading well. Yeah. And I don't think he's probably a great guy, but there was something about that. It's like in humans, oh, we want to, it's not, it wasn't a burden to fight for Zelensky, mm. right? Because people loved him and they wanted to fight for right. something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these are just truths that we all know, but maybe suppressed. I don't know. <laughs> mm. So I think that's a good point that this, um, yeah, that we can't we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater when there's bad examples of leadership. That's not a fault of leadership. That's a fault of the people doing it. Mm-hmm. So, mm. um, yeah. He then he goes into um, a few other kind of quick hitters. Um, I thought one thing was interesting. There's this idea of universal skepticism of what he called the new academy. So this would have been again a secular kind of philosophy. Mm. Uh, so the universal skepticism, I was curious what that was. So I was looking it up and they didn't reject that there was truth. They just thought we couldn't know it. Mm. So they said there is a truth out there, but we can't know it. Mm. And he says, Christians must reject that. Mm. (laughs) Mm. We believe there is a truth and that it can be known, Mm. uh, again, different from today, which would probably reject the truth and would reject that we can know it. Mm. (laughs) Um, and I think an important thing that I've found, in sort of this area about truth. is like as Christians, we confidently assert that there is truth and that it can be known. Yeah, We would be lying to say otherwise. But we also have to do it in a humble way. That The reason we know this truth is only by the grace of God. Yeah, We weren't smarter. We didn't figure it out. Yeah. Right? It
1: was graciously revealed and given to us.
0: Exactly. So when in all these discussions, and hopefully we do that in this podcast, it's like we want to confidently assert truth, yeah. be firm, and do it in such a humble way. And that's just going to mm. confuse people because... Usually people who are super confident in the truth are not humble, <laughs> mm, mm. right? Or the people that seem the most loving aren't very confident in the truth. Mm. So if we can merge those two, and Jesus obviously was the best example. Mm. The truest person of all time spoke truth like nobody else mm. and the most loving. Like, that's just amazing to yeah. think about. So yeah. I just think that's really important in, in any of these discussions about truth. Um, so yeah, so he talks about that, talks about truth. He talks a lot about... Um, peace and uh yeah he there's a pretty extended discussion on peace um uh basically how he kind of defines what peace means in these different settings and um and and he even says he was kind of funny he says even like the war hawk general they kind of want their own version of peace like Mm. everyone wants peace everyone wants peace in their family no one said i really wish my wife and i bickered more yeah (laughs) right (laughs) ever heard that as a prayer request probably not Mm -hmm. everyone wants peace and um and and he kind of defines peace as order which Mm -hmm. i thought was interesting even what you're saying about creation um man was kind of given this task to sort of there was peace and there was order but it's almost like here's bring some more like you know uh, take dominion over the the plants and the animals yeah Yeah. Um, so this idea of peace as as being order um i think it's really beautiful they really go hand in hand and and this would also tie into c.s lewis you know loving people uh in the proper order right he talks about disordered loves uh, mm. c.s lewis does mm. right and so this this idea of o- order and peace and love are are kind of really fundamental to to um, yeah just the, the order of the world and mm. and what god's working towards so um yeah very extended discussion on on what peace is and he even talks about then we talk about eternal peace that's not gonna even capture what awaits us like we don't really have words for oh yeah the peace and order that haven't oh, oh yeah
1: I feel like, yeah, I mean, there's limited discussion of, like, practically what it'll be like in Eternal Paradise. And I think that's because there'd be no point in trying to share that. Right, right. <laughs> we wouldn't get it.
0: Right. Even in <laughs> Revelation, John's like, I'm going to do my best to describe what I see, but it's going to be tough. <laughs> and
1: it's like, okay, there's four wings on this yeah. thing with <laughs> rotating pyramids. That might be Ezekiel. But <laughs>
0: yeah yeah you're right. either way it's like <laughs> what would he, what it is you'll see we have no idea yeah you just put it in some words that maybe we can get yeah, but yeah yeah so um yeah that's mostly what he's got going on here there was there was also something kind of interesting about um to have a true commonwealth or society you need justice mm. um do you remember that that section
1: Yeah, I don't remember a whole... I remember it happening. Okay. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot of the discussion. Okay. And I don't have... Yeah, I don't have much thought on it that I've prepared.
0: Um, Yeah, he just sort of talks about how, like, basically a society without justice is no society at all. Mm -hmm. And, like, how fundamental that is. These these are really kind of the... um, These are very, like, pure and classical discussions on, like, what a society is. Yeah. Right, and what true justice is. Yeah. Um, Which, again, they kind of come up today, but not in sort of these classical senses if you will so yeah just just how important justice is and um yeah to having a a fully functioning commonwealth so Mm. yes 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 so i think that's mostly what we got today i have a cool quote that i'd like to end with but shane i'm just uh i'm curious if you have any just closing thoughts on on this episode or um I know you're excited for the next one. I so, am. So.
1: I ha, okay. I have so many thoughts and like, but I'm just trying to save it because it all comes from the last two, three books. Okay. <laughs> so hurry up and read this quote so we can move on to that one. Okay, <laughs> I
0: will. I will. So uh, yeah, the the quote I wanted to end with today, um, it's 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 interesting because he's quoting. Uh, I'm trying to remember, but he's quoting. Um, or oh, it's Porphyry. Um, oh, yeah. So this is one of the pagan philosophers, and. And he's and Porphyry is actually here talking about God, uh, so it, it's it's so fascinating. This this pagan philosopher, who is not a Christian, did not worship the one true God, basically understood how great God is. Um, he says Augustine says, well, "Let's come to this more candid avowal and hear how great he, this is Porphyry, makes the God of the Jews out to be." So mm-hmm. he has, there's this recognition um, of how great our God is, even from those who don't worship him, um, and, and this, is what, this is what Augustine again, or Augustine again, quotes from Porphyry about who God is, he says, in God the Father and King, older than all things, before whom the heavens, the earth, the ocean, and the sightless reaches of hell tremble, before whom the gods themselves quake with fear, for them the law is the Father, whom the devout Hebrews hold in proud, of, profound regard, so I just thought that was amazing of uh, recognition of who our god is so we hope you enjoyed this episode we hope you guys uh, came back for us after our, <laughs> our few months off and uh, we'll be sure to get the next one up sooner than that so we hope you'll be a great juicy
1: one. it'll be good
0: oh yeah